We have to go back. Through the Looking Glass is over and has been for a while, but we're just getting started talking about it here on Post Show Recaps. What do you know? It's the return of Lost Lives. That's right. No one thought this podcast would ever exist again, including probably myself. But my good friend who is with me on this podcast reached out to me not long ago and said, I want to do some Lost podcasting this summer. So let's make it happen. This seems like a good opportunity. Uh, It's the 10-year anniversary of the season three finale of Lost, an episode that many people consider to be the best episode of Lost. And here to break it down with me and wax nostalgic about it with me is my good friend, Joe Garfine. Joe, what's going on? We did not go to Guam, did we? We did not go to Guam. That's a little bit further in the future. That's season five material. I'm just, you know, it's for the people who actually stayed there out and went the whole, you know, six seasons. And I'm just saying it's for the it's for the old timers. They get it. They do mention the runway in this episode, which I thought exactly. Was yeah, it's for the aliens, Joe. It's for the aliens. Oh, my gosh. And we'll get into it. But the feels, the nostalgia, it was I was transported And I can't wait to talk to you about this particular episode. Yeah, it's going to be really fun. I think this is going to be a great podcast. So just to set up what we're doing here, and first of all, just to kind of set up what this podcast is, you are listening to the Lost Lives podcast, probably the best uh, unreliable podcast that exists. (laughs) Like of all of like the really, really, really super unreliable podcasts about Lost, I think that this has to be the best. I think so. I think once or twice a year makes this pretty darn unreliable. Yeah, well, there's a lot of promises that are involved with Lost Lives. Like, we make ambitious promises about, like, long, sequel-driven podcasts, like, very narratively dense podcasts, and we deliver, like, three or four of them, and then we disappear without any warning. Uh, much like Lost itself disappoints some people. I aim to I aim to follow our maker here with the Lost Lives podcast. <laughs> so, so that's really what we do here. Joe is a regular on this podcast, Joe is somebody who is uh, a huge, huge, huge person in the Lost community. If you do not know who Joe Garfine is, I challenge the notion that you are a true Lost fan. Joe, can you explain who you are for those people who do not know who you are? No pressure. Well, uh, my run Cancer Gets Lost, a small nonprofit organization. And basically, I co-founded it. I'm the executive producer. I do it in my spare time. Executive producer. Executive director. Sorry. It's, I have a lot of coffee. You just you just accidentally revealed that you are working on Cancer Gets Lost, the show. Uh, exactly. I, it is. It is the show at a production unto itself. Exactly. On ice, on ice. But long story short, we collect entertainment memorabilia, try to get it signed and auction it off and donate the proceeds to various cancer charities. And the whole thing started because of the television show Lost. When people say that a television show can't change your life, they're lying. Because I used to blog about the show like a lot of other people. And I, I happen to have amazing, great, lovely fans. And some of the cast and crew found me on MySpace and Facebook. And we became friendly. And I attended some charity events. And uh, Jared Wong, who's a fellow Lost fan, and I created Cancer Gets Lost in 2010 after the show ended because we wanted to do something to give back. And we knew that there's an amazing online, generous, worldwide fan community. We started with just lost items. And then, you know, six, seven years later, we raised a couple hundred thousand dollars for various cancer charities. So it is our great passion in life. And for fun, I also, of course, still love talking about television with Josh. So this is a huge treat for me. Yes, Joe is my amazing co-host on the Westworld podcast, the Welcome to Westworld podcast that we do here on Post Show Recaps. Haven't done one of those since Westworld Season 1 wrapped. Uh, I don't think Westworld's coming back until 2018, if I'm right about that. So we'll see when the next one of those comes out. <laughs> but certainly whenever Season 2 approaches, Joe and I will be back on the hunt for that. No spoilers about Westworld here, but full-fledged, full-bore law. 
Lost spoilers. If you are listening to this podcast and you do not know everything that there is to know about Lost, if you have not seen the whole show, then you should navigate away now unless you don't mind getting things spoiled for you, which would be a shame because we are talking about an episode that contains one of the single greatest twists in Lost history for sure. And I really do think that there is an argument that this is the objective best episode of Lost. And I think especially when you compare it with, uh, when, when you combine it rather with the episode that comes right before it, I think that it really does form sort of this like Voltron of an episode that is just unbeatable from greatest hits through the end of Through the Looking Glass is just such spectacular television of an already spectacular television series. And it's the 10 year anniversary of this episode. Uh, May 23rd, 2007 is when Through the Looking Glass airs, Joe, and we had to go back. I have to say that I would argue potentially it's one of the best pre-social media well-kept secrets and twists in television history and it, it, it arguably also changed the landscape for surprises yeah i think that that's right and i you know there's a lot of talk about how lost kind of changed the game uh god i'm sorry for saying change the game for you survivor fans uh there's <laughs> there's a there's a lot to be said for the fact that lost deciding to end on its own terms really kind of kicked down the door for shows to start doing that for like shows to start sending uh, setting up endpoints. like i know that this series is only only going to go for five seasons like breaking bad's a good example of that mm-hmm. uh and very famously during season three damon lindelof and carlton cues the showrunners of lost uh the people who are really responsible for the for the twisting and turning narrative and the people that you should write your angry letters to if you're still mad uh as well as your fan letters because those guys are very <laughs> very sweet uh they very they're very famously kind of felt like they were spinning their wheels a little bit with some of the flashbacks in season three i think stranger in a strange land may have been the trigger episode (laughs) jack's tattoos the infamous jack's tattoos episode uh may have been the trigger episode that finally got abc to give the thumbs up of yeah all right you're right you should probably end lost on your own terms and you really i think even before this episode aired i think it was announced that that was going to be the case that there was only going to be six uh seasons of lost we just didn't really know what that direction was going to be but by the time you reach the final scene of through the looking glass you got a pretty good idea of where they're driving at, or at the very least, there's this huge left turn that happens that really subverts everything that you're expecting Lost to drive towards, where, you know, the the premise of the show is all of these strangers finding themselves lost on this island, this mythical, mysterious island loaded with mysteries and secret people and others who kidnap children and smoke monsters that rip poor Mr. Echo to shreds. And all polar bears, Dharma hatches, all of this craziness. You would think that the show is building to a moment where these people are going to get saved and they're going to get rescued and they're going to leave the island. And yeah, that's kind of true. That is ultimately sort of where we go. But they get off the island once before that. Like there is an actual exit of the island. And we find out about that at the end of this episode through the looking glass that there is the, the very famous flashback structure gets subverted and becomes a flash forward for the very first time. And what we believe to be uh, this really depressing look at the main character, Jack Shepard, in flashback form all through the episode. Turns out that's not the past. That's a glimpse of the future. And it blew minds. It was it was crazy. Uh, Lindelof and Cuse used to have names for these final moments, like the big <laughs> twists. I think uh, I forget what the what the first one was. Do you remember? 
it was the snake in the mailbox or the the bagel yeah. or something. I think that the, I can't. I feel like this was the snake in the mailbox. I can't recall. Certainly, uh, season four was very aptly called the frozen donkey wheel. <laughs> Pretty literal. Uh, I think that this was the snake in the mailbox. But somebody can correct me. But in any event, it certainly was a snake in the mailbox. I think a lot of people got bit by this twist. It was spectacular. Uh, I will say that my favorite three seasons of Lost are four, five, and six. And so to me, I think three is underrated. And I know the analogy between the writer's strike in season three and the actors in the cages, but you get so much backstory of Ben Linus and the island in season three. And once you hurtle toward the end here with the spectacular, I would argue probably the best season finale of Lost, um, Through the Looking Glass, part one and two, I think it really kicks off. And it has to do with the fact that the final three seasons are on their own terms and at the pace they've always wanted. Yeah. I think, uh, wow, four, five, and six are your favorites? They are. And I know people don't like five. I don't care. No, I, I love it. Oh, I love five. I question. Well, you do. I question <laughs> six. I know. Oh, yeah, I should say that, that one is the most controversial. I loved it. I found answers. I found satisfaction, resolution. I felt very at peace with the finale. And that's a whole other podcast we'll get to. But I actually really, really enjoyed the mirrors situation uh, between what's happening on the island and what's happening in the future. Yeah. Well, this definitely like signals, you know, a, a huge shift in Lost. Yes. Um, Lost's structure up to this point, with a couple of exceptions, and maybe even one exception. I think there are one or two exceptions. Uh, it's every episode features a flashback. Uh, it's going to, you know, typically center on a character or maybe two characters. Sometimes it moves away from the format in the in the case of a of an episode in season two called the Other Forty Eight Days, and that focus on what life was like for people who crashed on the island, the tailies, as they were famously <laughs> called, uh, all of that good stuff. But for the most part, you get a character every week. It's like a character-centric episode every single time. And around the point of season three, which I argue is potentially the strongest season of the show, starting with, uh, I think, season the episode seven and onward, it really, really, once they come back from that first six-episode mini-season, and that I think that that's really where a lot of people had some gripes. There's an episode here or there that's not so good in season three. Uh, certainly Stranger in a Strange Land, as we pointed out before, I think is the one that probably gets the most heat. Uh, but I think that from the moment that like Kate comes back from Hydra Island and teams up with Saeed and Locke and goes off looking for Jack, I really think the season is off to the races from that point forward. Um, with that being said, there's also, you know, very famously, some of these flashbacks are starting to get a little repetitive. Like, how many more times do we need to see that Saeed Jarrah feels terrible about what he did during his time at war? Uh, the One of my favorite episodes, you know this about me, Joe, and anyone who's listened <laughs> to the Lost List podcast before knows this, is Trisha Tanaka is dead. And that yes. is an episode that's literally about Hurley spinning his wheels in the jungle. You know, what a, <laughs> I, I believe IGN ranked that as their least favorite episode of Lost ever or pretty close to the bottom of the heap uh, and blamed it on the fact that if you needed more of a metaphor of Lost spinning its wheels, look no further than <laughs> Trisha Tanaka. I take such exception to that, but whatever. I agree. I uh, agree. It's, it's underrated on, on a humor level as well. Yeah, definitely. Oh, it's such a great episode. Go back and watch it if you have. That's like every, Anytime <laughs> we bring back Lost Lives, I always have to make a point to, to hype up Trisha Tanaka. Anyway, you know, there's, there's definitely arguments that the show is losing some momentum there, but I think the, the moment that 
this show is allowed to start ending on its own terms. And I think that you can, you can quibble with the direction that they took it in. And uh, I think that season four is, you know, impacted by the writer's strike and everything that went on back then in 2007 and 2008. Uh, I, I just think that the, the idea of where they're going to launch things by the end of season three was so, so cool. And I don't know if you remember, but I, I would love to hear if you have a story of like, where were you? when that happened do you remember watching the we have to go back moment for the first time joe i have a funny slash angry story about that this is the first time in my life um i knew what a spoiler was someone emailed me someone emailed me to tell me that the last scene of episode of season three is a flash forward and that Jack says we have to go back to Kate and they're off the Who island. Who did that? Why would someone do I that I am to not going to say. It was sort of an innocent mistake. It was a group email. Uh, but I, from then on, adopted on my site and personally on all my social media, zero spoiler tolerance. Uh-huh. Uh, because I, as as a huge fan and someone who also enjoyed analyzing the show, um, uh, you know, on paper, quote unquote, it devastated me. Now, I had no context and I didn't really believe it. But then as it unfolded, so I was spoiled by that. Wow. So that being said, I was still, I was, well, we'll get to it at the end, but I was um, devastated. I did not know about Charlie. I mean, I kind of assumed because of the Desmond's vision, but I thought that Dom Monaghan and, and Ian, that scene, I still like, I rewatched it last night and I cried at the exact same spot. The emotional resonance that they created in that scene the, the, from the writing, the execution of it, and those two actors, I, I think I had such a strong response to that that I was able to get over the spoiler of Jack. That's really devastating. It is. <laughs> I think that I'd, I remember hearing, having heard like a, like a tiny bit of a spoiler, but it was like super out of context. Um, I think that the, what, what I'd heard was that there were going to be, that it was a Jack flashback episode and that he was going to run into a character from the island that he had no business running into. Hmm. Uh, and the way that that like, was presented without context suggested to me that there was like going to be somebody on the island, like maybe he'd forgotten who Ben was by the time that he met Ben, or like <laughs> some other like Desmond type of situation, the way that he met Desmond years before they both got to the island. So I knew to like be looking for something weird, but I didn't know exactly what it was going to be. And I vividly remember watching this scene um, for the first time. I, was, uh, I had just graduated from college, Uh, I was home. I was at my parents' house. I had not moved out of my parents' house quite yet. I think it was truly like the week after uh, after graduation. Uh, I used to very famously, my good buddy Coconut Pete, shout out if you're (laughs) listening, uh, who has been on this podcast many times before. uh, I remember, you know, we used to have these like elaborate get-togethers in our in our college house where we would just watch together, and that was such a religious part of the experience. Was just the the community that we built in our house at Redfield Place at Syracuse University <laughs> watching week after week and anytime the commercial would end and people were still talking we would just go ah shut up it's back and that would just like be our <laughs> instinctual move and so we had we had been watching the season together 
all season long, all year long, and this was going to be the first episode that we were not going to be able to watch together. So not only were we not going to be coming back to school the following year, not only were we all going to be kind of moving on with our lives and hopefully keeping in touch, and thankfully many of us have, uh, but we were also going to be missing out on like the Ugh. final episode of the season together. So we were all very bummed about that. I settled in for the season three finale. I was alone. So it was like such a lonely experience. Oh, and I was watching the episode. Uh, my girlfriend at the time, who is now my wife, Emily Fox, who uh, co-anchored the return of Lost Lives back in the fall with me. Uh, she she was really just like sort of starting to like accept that Lost was a thing that was going to have to be in her life. <laughs> so she was like on text standby, but we weren't watching together. So that was like the closest thing it was like I had her on text standby. I'm pretty sure that Coconut Pete and I were on tech standby, another guy. Uh, but that was it. And it was very, very lonely and isolating. I was just like kind of on the edge of my seat. It was a really powerful thing to be so alone watching this with like, I didn't have to tell anybody to shut up. Uh, mm-hmm. No one was talking during the acts. It was just me and the TV. And I was just waiting for some kind of moment. And even when Kate Austin rolls up to Jack Shepard outside of an airport and steps out from the darkness, even when that vehicle starts to roll in and you have this sense because the thing hasn't happened yet. Like, okay, so who's this going to be? Yeah. When it was Kate who stepped out, I still didn't really know what was happening. I was like, what's going on? And then they start talking about like, I heard about what happened in the paper. I read about this. And uh, they are clearly talking about, like, and and Jack says, like, we weren't supposed to leave. And Uh suddenly I'm like, oh, and, like, someone would have had to tell me to, like, shut up. It's on. Like, that's, (laughs) that's what was happening. I was literally just screaming because it suddenly started to dawn on me, holy crap, this is the future. They get off the island and it's not a good thing. They weren't yep. supposed to leave. And so Jack shouting, we have to go back, we have to go back, was so poignant for me because not only was it like such a massive twist, but I was like, I have to go back to Syracuse and see my <laughs> friends and talk about that. And I, I literally, because a bunch of my friends stayed there, I literally drove up the next week. Uh, Emily and I were going to meet in Syracuse to get some of her stuff that she hadn't yet packed and she still had her house. She hadn't finished with the month's rent. She was still able to keep some stuff there. And we were going to do like a little weekend there. And I remember like, I, that's great timing because I need to go talk to Pete. I need to talk to the the person who is going to become his wife, Becky, who is a good friend as well, and nerd out about this thing because that was messed up and it was completely out of my purview of predictions. I had no idea that something like that could ever happen. But in retrospect, it's it's like such a simple genius effective yes. twist that I think a lot of shows have borrowed from. I think the time oh, jump, for sure. the time jump is a popular thing now. And when you go back and rewatch the episode knowing, it's fascinating, especially, you know, the uh, infamously now they, they love to mess with us, as you know, they being Damon Carlton and the cast and crew. And so Hoff's Drawler, which is the name of the funeral home, is an anagram for Flash Forward, yeah, it's so- <laughs> which, you know what? I love that shit. Pardon my language. So I became a- obsessed with the name on the newspaper, of course, they did a screen grab and blew it up in whatever old version of Photoshop I had. And I saw the name Jeremy Bentham. And I have to tell you, my lost blog career took off after this finale because I became obsessed with Jeremy Bentham. And I started a secret Jeremy Bentham blog 
to the point where uh, the, the network Bentham blog, yes, the Bentham. The, I got contacted by network people asking me if I worked for them. Really? And then I had fans asking me if I was working for them because it was not an official ARG. And I had a guy who actually sent me because this is back then before you know not that we're any more secure now. He traced where I was posting from to the actually the URL of my office, which was strange because I was doing it from home to the city where my, my actual workplace is and said, I'm going to expose you for who you are. This is a fake blog. You're just a fan. And I was like, first of all, I, okay. Holy <laughs> like, like it became a weird straight. This is in you know, two, the early 2008. So between seasons three and four, I did this Bentham blog just for fun. And then I became obsessed with Jeremy Bentham, the creation of the Panopticon, Panopticon, which I thought the Island was, I did this whole paper on it. Anyway, uh, that sort of kicked off. I got a lot of attention for that. And then my lost blog after that seasons four, five and six took off. So thanks season three. Wait, so what did you write about in the Bentham blog? I didn't say who I was and I would just take photos and, and, and manipulate them and make them seem like uh, they were clues to season four. <laughs> so you were just messing with people. I was just messing with people. It was a summer project. Between, <laughs> you remember, you guys who stream and binge, let me tell you something. We had agonizing eight to ten month waits between seasons. And, and for um, creative nerds like us who had access to websites and Photoshop, it's what we used to – and before Twitter, this is what we used to do instead oh of share God. our thoughts. In 140 characters at a time, we would manipulate photos and pretend to be a fictional character, and then get yelled at for it. Let's not so, let's not blanket this with a we, Joe. I think that this, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think this is a you thing. It was insane. Like I, I, I feel like I should write it down because it's been 10 years now. All the shit that happened because of the Bentham blog. I have to find that email somewhere and post it and send it to you. It's hilarious. Oh my god, I don't think I ever knew that about you about the Bentham blog. That's so funny. I know. And that's how people on Facebook like started sending me messages going, who the hell are you? You know? And then they, this, they were convinced I was a man. Cause I specifically, like it changed the way I talked as a, as Jeremy Bentham. It was hilarious. Oh my God. So at the time, what were you thinking of Jeremy Bentham? Because you find out that this is taking place, you know, years after they've left the Island or at least sometime after they've left the Island, it's yeah. somebody that Jack and Kate clearly know uh, and this became like a really big deal. I remember very, oh, very yeah. vividly and like certainly all along in season four, as you're getting more and more pieces of what the future looks like after the what we find out are the Oceanic Six leave the island like you're starting to piece together like, so who left? Who got to leave? Who's still behind? And the people that we don't know of who are the Oceanic Six like who's in the box like who is going to be dead who's that person that's in the funeral home in in Hoff Strahler what were your <laughs> what were your thoughts on that what did you think the whole Jeremy Bentham thing was well, I thought there were three candidates based on Jack's reaction at the time. Again, with zero context after season three, I thought it could have been uh, Ben Linus, Jacob, or Locke. The three people that could have affected him so strongly because he was so against. He was such a man of science and not of faith. But, you know, Jacob, Locke, and Ben were men of faith. I just feel like it had to be one of those three. Yeah. I remember thinking for some reason I was just like hard convinced that it was Saeed. 
Interesting. Um, like I, I felt like it. Like I, I think it was more that like I was so certain that there's no way they're gonna kill John Locke this early <laughs> in the show. Terry O'Quinn's so good, and he's such like an instrumental force on this show. Locke, uh, how could they kill him? There's no way. So I mean, you know, we'll talk next year at the 10 year anniversary of the season four finale, maybe, and that's a, <laughs> you know, that's a, a snake Oof. in the mailbox of a different color. That's a frozen donkey wheel of a different color. Uh, all of the theory that stemmed from that with Locke being dead. Uh, so great. That was incredible. But I but I do remember that, you know, it was the kind of thing, Lost was so good at this. Like you said, for, for the people who were, I would say, you know, in, in many ways lucky, but also unlucky uh, to not have experienced it live. And you, you've just been able to like tear through the show. But if you were watching it live, you would have those like, agonizing summer long waits between seasons. And this was the longest one yet. Uh, the, the, the wait between season three and season four um part of the you know shuddering of lost uh part of the plan to wrap this thing up in six seasons involved three more shortened seasons that would all air consecutively like the the seasons would end with would would air with the episodes airing uninterrupted you know all Mm -hmm. of season four would air at at once week to week to week with no breaks uh same with five same with six at least that was the intention it's not exactly how it worked out but that was the stated (laughs) goal and it also meant that they weren't going to come back in the fall anymore they weren't going to be coming back until january or february so the show the show would go off the air in may and you would have from may until january to just like sit with this exhausting emotionally (laughs) draining mentally taxing twist and you're like what the f happened and oh my god i loved it it was great but it was agonizing and infuriating as well Imagine Game of Thrones fans, but like, I don't know if it's the same, but I, that's the only show I could think of where people do the insane kind of blogging and analyzation uh, in between long seasons. Yeah. I mean, kind of Westworldy, you know, there's, there's, oh, for sure. There's certainly shows like that. Uh, there are shows like that now. There were shows like that before Lost as well, but Lost was, you know, th- that, those weights were excruciating, like, especially <laughs> the, the season one to season two of What's in the Hatch was really, really agonizing. And then really three to four was brutal was was truly truly brutal uh and it it inspired a lot of different theorizing it inspired uh apparently a bentham blog (laughs) and it was great fun it really was and that was a great period of time too for me when i would like recruit new people to the lost cause i think that once the season three finale aired i want to say like that that was around the time that Emily was starting to get into Lost. I think that that was like, all right, Fox, you got to do this. I can't remember if she was already hooked in like midway into three or if it was after that, but it was certainly around that time. And I had a couple of other friends too that I converted along the way in that moment as well. I'm Uh, sure. But it was it was great, and I, I do think I do think kind of a revolutionary thing. You know, I think you see a lot of shows now that implement the time jump. You see a lot of shows that implement the flash forward. Uh, there may or may not even be another Damon Lindelof show that implemented a flash forward <laughs> fairly recently in, in a, Australia. In Australia, in a way that was really, really, really neat and like surprisingly unexpected. Even though this guy has pulled the same exact thing off before uh it's true so yeah the leftover by the way is uh is really really killer 
Leftovers, I think, is going to go down as, in, I think, for both of us in our top five of all time. Hopefully. Hopefully it's, yeah. it's the landing. It's it's trending in that direction. Of course, if you guys are listening to this Lost podcast, but you have not listened to our Leftovers podcast here on Post Show Recaps, Antonio Mazzaro and I are podcasting about that show twice a week, Joe. We do, we do a Sunday night recap, and then we do a midweek feedback show. Uh, it's because you need to let it soak in and absorb. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot there. There's a lot of there there, as Antonio likes to say. So <laughs> if you haven't checked that stuff out, you can push your recaps.com slash leftovers iTunes. That's all I will shill on that front right now. But I do think that this was really a groundbreaking episode. And I think that it was on top of that, Joe, a super emotional episode. Oh because like really all we've talked about so far is the we have to go back of it all. Uh and it's a it's definitely the thing that really dominates the conversation afterwards because it's so open-ended and you don't know where things are going to be going with Lost moving forward. You know now that there is an end in sight and now you have a suggestion of what the end game is. Uh, You have this promise of we have to go back. So not only do you know that certain characters are going to leave the island, but you now have the promise of those characters are going to go back and that's going to be the thrust of the rest of the show. And it's so awesome. But that really, you know, kind of yada yada's past the emotional crux of this episode and the moment that I think rightfully is talked about as like the single most powerful, painful moment in the entire series, uh, at least for me. And I, I think mm-hmm. it's at the very least top five is the death of Charlie Pace in, in the season three finale. I think it's in my top TV character, beautiful deaths of all time. You know, as much as Juliet was my favorite character, they showed her dying so many times that it sort of lost its lure for me. <laughs> yeah. And also, you I kind of figure was, it's coming because she's on V. <laughs> well, we not only was she was she on V, but it was just torturous the way she died. So I just, you know, I can't say that I enjoyed it. I just thought there was more of a beauty to Charlie's. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, you know, it's gore. Well, they they spent the entire season building up to it. Um, you know, they, I think with Charlie, Charlie was one of those characters where they kind of lost their way. Uh, he's, you know, comic relief a lot of the time, but he's, you know, really one of the, like sort of the, the, you know, he is one of the first three main characters that we really, really focus on, um, in that pilot episode, it's Jack flashbacks, it's Kate flashbacks and it's Charlie flashbacks. And they're the three that go off into the jungle. And they're Mm -hmm. really the three, I would say kind of, you know, poster children of lost for a while. Uh, and there's the whole scene where Charlie is strung up by Ethan Rom in the middle of the jungle midway into season one. And they play that so powerfully, uh, uh, and they, you know, that scene is is so drawn out, and there's Jack beating on his chest, and then the camera pulls back, and you think you're about to cut to commercial, but no, we're still in the scene, and Jack starts beating on his chest again, and Kate's like, "Dude, stop, stop, stop!" And then he bursts back to life. And I remember, I've, I've said this on the podcast before, but it's been years. Uh, I've yeah. said this on the podcast before, but I remember once again with my buddy Coconut Pete, uh, we would talk about in that moment. We would talk about, oh, yeah, well, if there's any character on Lost who's, like, wearing the immunity necklace now, if there's, like, one person (laughs) who is just, like, super safe forever, it's Charlie. And how wrong were we? Yeah, seriously. Well, here's why I wasn't that surprised. When Lost started in 2004, right, 2004, gosh, keep in mind that the largest star on the show was Don Monaghan from Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And so 
I thought he'll do a few seasons, then go off and do more movies. So that's in that way, it was not surprising in every other way it was. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, one of the things to kind of get back to the idea of like lost kind of didn't know what to do with Charlie for a while. Um, he's a really poorly used character in the second season of the show. Um, I think season one ends Charlie in a way that you're not really excited about. He finds the heroin statues, what we find out to be Mr. Echo's heroin statues in the jungle. He steals one for safekeeping. And then season two, we're going to kind of go in the is he or isn't he going to do heroin again tailspin that gets him, uh, you know, broken up with. He breaks up with Claire or Claire dumps him. He gets punched in the face by Locke. He gets really (laughs) angry. I still think Fire Plus Water is, if not the worst episode of Lost, really, really super low on the list. And that's the that's a Charlie flashback. That's the you all everybody's uh, flashback <laughs> where he and the rest of Drive Shaft, a.k.a. Suck Shaft, are wearing diapers and you know, dancing around for a diaper commercial. It's just so bad. Uh, I can't, I don't have it in front of me, but I did do my lost episode rankings a couple of years ago for MTV. And I'm pretty sure I had that ranked last, uh, but they really screwed the character up. I thought Joe, like they just had no idea what to do with him anymore. They couldn't find a way to really tie him into the central narrative of the show anymore. And somehow they figure out how to write the ship with Charlie in season three. They get him past the heroin stuff. That's totally done now, but what's like the new, character arc for charlie and sadly the genius idea they arrive at is part and parcel with the the one and only desmond hume henry in cusick coming to the show as a series regular and developing superpowers where he can see the freaking future unfortunately it's tied into the fact that desmond can't stop seeing futures where Charlie Pace is dying. Uh, Charlie is constantly dying in these future visions, and Desmond is working 24-7 to save this guy <laughs> and make sure that it's not happening. And it, I think it's flashes before your eyes, right, that ends with Desmond and his famous line of, no matter what I do, Charlie, you're going to die. Uh, and there's just this now very magnetic, propulsive quality to the Charlie Pace character that has not existed maybe ever, but certainly not since season one. And unfortunately, certainly looking back, but at the time, you are wondering, like, does Lost have the stones to do this? Like, will they really kill Charlie off? I really don't think that they will. But in retrospect, you can't introduce that story and not go through with it. And damn, do they go through with it, Joe. I liked it in the sense that it served such a purpose. He was the sacrifice the island demanded. And if you go and look in the future, and this is one of the things I loved about season six, is knowing now how Jacob did travel and did you know reach out and literally physically touch each person that was recruited to go to the island. This was his destiny all along. And this brings me to one of my favorite theories I ever came up with of all time from season three. So much the only mention I ever got in Doc Jeff Jensen's famous Entertainment Weekly, amazing weekly analysis of Lost. He linked to this theory once and it made my entire life back in the day. Do tell. (sighs) Knowing what we know now about Faraday. My theory is that he traveled back in time. He is a musician. He programmed the Looking Glass Station with the Beatles song, knowing that Charlie was going to be one to set off this series of events and break the code. Do you think that Daniel Faraday was the guy who programmed the... Yes. What was the... the it was uh, Good Vibrations, right? Yes, he did for Charlie Pace. Well, we do know that in uh, in the afterlife, at least, that Daniel Faraday is, uh, is a rockin' musician. And yep. he, he even has uh, piano expertise as a young child. 
he does. He winds up playing in the uh, finale on the piano, you know? So I'm just saying there's some merit to it, and that's my theory, and I'm sticking to it. All right, it. well, you can't be proven right or wrong until Lost <laughs> 2 happens. I think if I, I might have presented that theory once to Damon, and he laughed, and so you could take that for what it is. Faraday was on the other outrigger, <laughs> and he was on his way to the looking glass to program the thing. You know, don't laugh. That could be true. It could be. It could be true. We have no idea who's on the other outrigger. Uh, that'd be fun. Again, another reason why Lost will come back someday to answer all of these questions. I do. But still. not not in the reboot. We will not watch that. No reboot. Sequel. Sequel. No. Sequel. You and I are going to co-write it. It's going to be awesome. We are. Yeah. Exactly. It's going to be called Found. It's going to be great. <laughs> it's going to um, be called Found. No, I will, I-, I will not accept anything other than Lost 2. I've, I've stuck to Lost 2 for so long that it just has to be straight up. And the S is the 2. Oh, okay. We'll work that out with our lawyers. Yeah, Latoust. La, la <laughs> Latoust, yes. Yeah. And there's a lot to talk about with the scene down in the Looking Glass, but can we just talk about how awesome it is that Lana Perea is down there? Yeah, I'm not a big Once Upon a Time guy. Uh, I know, but I love her. I, I do like her. I, I, What was the show she was on? The cop show Boomtown? Was that a yes. thing? Yes. Yeah, I remember my brother and I used to watch Boomtown, uh, or we had the DVD of Boomtown, which I think only made it a season. Uh, and we both really liked it, and we were like, "All right, we're going to savor this show because we don't want to just blow through it." And we never finished it, so yeah. we got to go back. We have to go back to Boomtown. That's there. You go. Neither here nor there. Fun uh, tidbit, though: Jorge and Lana go way back. Um, they they didn't grow up together, but they grew up through the system, taking acting classes, and they're really good friends. So, well, another reason why it's such a bummer that Charlie refused to let Hurley go down into the Looking Glass station. Oh my gosh. I just, this episode hurt when Sawyer and Charlie purposely said mean things to him and then he saved the day. Yeah. It's so great. And again, you know, just to shake the fist at the Trisha Tanaka haters, that van (laughs) comes in handy, doesn't it? That van scene is one of the only moments of joy in six years. And so when people hate that episode, I just point to that, that particular scene, the look on all the actors' faces is so genuine and the dog and the beer and it's funny and it's beautiful. It's really great. And the defense that I've always issued for that episode is when, you know, you and I disagree on this point to some degree, Joe, but if you don't find the story of Lost to be ultimately satisfying, and if you don't find the mysteries of Lost to be ultimately satisfying, I I tell people that the show is still super worth going back and watching because the character moments cannot be beat. Like your, yes. your, your stop down moments in the jungle and episodes like Trisha Tanaka when you're just like stopping down to spend time with these characters, it's so much fun. And that's like going to be one of the last really light Charlie moments that you're going to get. One of the last great Charlie and Hurley moments you're going to get. So all of that's super, super great. Um, so I, I said before that I, I kind of look at, you know, Through the Looking Glass is the two-part finale. But I feel like Greatest Hits, the episode that comes right before it, the final Charlie flashback episode. And really the last flashback episode before Lost shifts gears into really shaking up the format. Not the final flashback episode ever, but the last time that the flashback episode is the standard you know it's the par for the course uh the par for the lost golf course uh (laughs) it's it's such a great episode and i really think that this final sequence of season three is best viewed as like a three-part episode i think when you include through the looking glass as the at least the prologue or the greatest hits as at least the prologue to through the looking glass i really think it enhances the experience like if you're ever going to go back and just watch the season three finale because you've decided hey I really want to watch an episode of Lost. I just heard Josh and Joe yapping about Through the Looking Glass for an hour or so. I really feel like I ought to go back and watch. I have to go back. 
Don't yeah. just watch through the looking glass. Tag greatest hits onto it first. I think it really adds so much depth to the Charlie death. Um, you know, one of the things that Lost was really well known for up to that point is like, uh oh, somebody's got a character centric episode. Means they're probably gonna die. <laughs> like that's that's just how this this goes down. Like uh oh, Shannon's got a flashback. Yeah. Uh, Anna Lucia's got a flashback. Mister Echo has a flashback, and now Charlie, who hadn't had a flashback since the aforementioned awful fire plus water, he now has a flashback episode, and it's right before the finale. And it is coming off of the heels and it's at the height of this season long narrative of either way, Charlie, you're going to die. And I remember certainly thinking they're going to kill Charlie in this episode and it's going to be the most devastating thing. And the fact that he makes it, he swims down from the outrigger and gets down into the water and gets through the looking glass station and comes up for air. uh, And he has like that moment of joy where he's like, I'm alive, I'm alive, I'm alive. I even remember feeling like they're not going to kill him in like the last 30 seconds here. Like if he didn't drown there, like there's a decent chance he's going to make it. Of course, the subsequent two hours suggest otherwise and prove otherwise. But it really, I think that there's a lot of hope involved in Greatest Hits. There's a lot of saying goodbye to Charlie in that episode. It's, you know, the last time he's ever going to interact with Jack and Hurley and all those people, at least while he's alive in, you know, mortal form. So it's really powerful. Yeah, with Claire, absolutely. Little turnip head. Turnip head! It's great. It's really great. And I think that like if you're if you're trying to kind of recapture that nostalgia, if you're just like going to go back and watch a little bit of Lost out of sequence and the Charlie death is such an emotional, memorable moment for you and you want to relive it, it'll certainly play emotionally again. How can it not? That the way that sequence is constructed when he does die is really really designed to get you. Uh, yes. but I think it'll get you even more if you watch Greatest Hits first. I think Greatest Hits is one of the best uses of the flashback format in the entirety of lost i agree wholeheartedly you know it's just like all of these different vignettes uh it's all coming together to tell the story of the five best moments that charlie ever experienced in his life as kind of a goodbye to claire and you don't really fully understand and appreciate what he's doing until the very end and it doesn't you know there's no photocopiers involved so that's a plus (laughs) honestly i also noticed this last night that i never even thought about it before 10 years ago he had the sharpie in his pocket because he was making the list for claire and he had the presence of mind before he died to write not penny's boot on his hand and save everybody and that sharpie i mean it's just the details that lost remembers that now would be pilloried on social media if you didn't have a reason for having the sharpie in your pocket you know remember uh it, it was a Comic-Con in between season five and season six where the lights went out and then the lights suddenly went on and Dominic Monaghan was on stage and he had not Penny's boat written on his hand. Yep. I was there in the audience. Was that badass? It was. I, I'm like getting goosebumps because I just remember it. And he was, of course, there to promote Flash Forward. But. Um, oh, yeah. He was on Flash show. Forward. That's right. He, he was the surprise announcement that he was joining Flash Forward, which. OK, hello. Goodbye. But <laughs> it was. uh I mean, everyone was standing ovation. We were just such, it was so nice to see. Now we all know we can spend our disbelief. We know he's a human being, but when an actor who's killed off a show shows up in real life, you get a sense of relief and sort of closure. And that's how it felt for me. And it was just electric to have him there. There was a, I think a really beautiful choice on Lost's part 
because we had lost main characters at this point. You know, people had died. Uh, probably the biggest death up to this point was Mr. Echo, I think. And that was really surprising and upsetting because this was a character that we, we really liked and we were very, very invested in and we thought was a big part of the mythology. And for him to kind of just get yanked off the table was, uh, was jarring. But he wasn't somebody who had been with us from the beginning with a huge level of impact. No disrespect intended towards Boone and Shannon. Uh, of course. But, but, you know, losing Charlie was traumatic. You know, if you were like a day one lost fan or even if you weren't day one, but up to that point, like you had gotten really invested in it, it was really traumatizing to lose this character. It was beautiful and he sacrifices himself for a greater cause and you've had all season to prepare for it, but it doesn't make it any easier. Uh, And then Lost makes this really incredible choice of like acknowledging the fact that that is really heavy and really difficult and really hard on the viewers and bring Bringing him back in a really clever way in the season four premiere with that uh, with that flash forward on Hurley and Hurley seeing Ghost Charlie and that's like the start of Hurley's new superpowers and I think just like to acknowledge the fact that just because a character is dead and dead does mean dead in this universe <laughs> doesn't mean that dead is gone and there are still flashbacks to consider there are still flash forwards now to consider and there's also the afterlife that is peeking its <laughs> its head in through the door a little bit uh so i loved that i thought that that was really great but i i didn't know what to expect like was that just going to be it for don monahan were we never going to see him again in that final scene of his in season three where he's uh got the hand on the door and desmond is the last person to see him alive and (sighs) he just drifts off into the water and and you know uh you know he he makes peace with god and he's Which gone. Was, by the way, Dom added that. That was not scripted. Yeah, isn't that right? Isn't that improvised? It's amazing. And they filmed it, you know, for days in this tiny tank on a, in a parking lot. And just, you know, apparently the whole crew, of course, was also very verklempt because it was f- very emotional for everyone. You're, they, of course, everyone loved Dom as a human being as well. And so you just hear these stories later. And there's, you know... You, I think you hear a lot more stories now about casts and crews because of social media. Um, you know, as someone who's worked closely with a lot of the cast and crew and creative um, on charity events since, and you know, I get, to, I'm lucky enough to hear a lot of backstories and across the board, there's zero negativity about this cast and the experiences. So it's really nice that I have a lot of nostalgia, and um, I feel very, very honored to be even honoring the name of this show through my charity now and to be able to talk about it with people like you and continue the honor and legacy of this show in the way that we can, because I think they've earned it more than earned it in my book for sure. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you want to talk about, and we'll go on from this, but I also really liked a lot of the Island aspects of this particular episode. Yeah. Talk me through some of that. I mean, uh, there's a lot. First of all, Giacchino, once again, Michael Giacchino score, amazing character on on the entire show. Oh, yeah. But the, Arguably the, the trek- best character. <laughs> oh, the trekking music when they're walking across the rocks, they leave the camp. They're walking across toward the tower. Amazing. Yeah. And, and goosebump inducing. Um, I found I love this episode, too, because I found parallels to the series finale when 
Jack versus Notlock meet on that same hill. Yeah. You know, and you had ben, the Ben beating up of Ben Linus, the, uh, you know, Alex meeting her mother and her first line being help me tie up your dad is it's like, there are little moments that are spectacular aside from the Charlie death and that we have to go back that happened in this episode. Yeah. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of satisfaction of, you know, there's the, the promise that Sawyer made to, to Ugh. who he used to call Zeke, uh, you know, Mr. Friendly Tom, there was the promise he makes to him in season two in the hunting party. You and me ain't done Zeke. Uh, that dates back to Mr. Friendly's first appearance when he showed up and blew up the raft and Sawyer's been nursing a grudge ever since. And he gets to carry out his vengeance. I mean, it's really Darth Sawyer in that moment. You know? Oh man. Cause just a few, a few episodes earlier, he'd killed his father or not his father. He'd killed Locke's father, the man who he took his name from the man. He took the Sawyer moniker from, uh, that stretch from the brig and onward, in fact, is really oh, unreal. Really, I, uh, the brig is underrated too. I think it's spectacular. Clutch episode of Lost for uh, sure. And uh, let's talk about our boy, taller ghost Walt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I hate that they spoiled <laughs> at the beginning by saying special guest star Malcolm David Kelly. Right. Yeah. It was like things like that. That's like you know. I don't. I don't know. Shows weren't quite at the place where they were really hiding that stuff. <laughs> too well uh you know i I i'm trying to think of what's a really good example of you know when they just like drop an actor's name in the credits at the very end after there's like a surprise well now it's negotiated in contracts so most won't allow it let me ask you a question now that we know what we know after watching six seasons i look at the taller ghost walt scene and the fact that he's showing up off the boat to john Locke. do you think it was a smoke monster manifesting himself as law as walt how would that be possible doesn't the smoke monster only take on the forms of the dead i don't know but how else do you describe walt being there uh, with uh, the podcast equivalent of that shrug emoji that uh, <laughs> that I have auto correcting in my phone every time I type the word shrug with two G's. Uh, You're hilarious. You know, I uh, look th- again. Like I think that there's a lot on Lost that you know, you know, throughout the run, you know, Lindelof and Cuse would talk a lot about how like this has an answer and we know what this is and we know what that is. And there's a failure to deliver on a lot of those. And Walt is sort of the, is sort of the big one. I'm not mad at it. Uh, and I don't know that I've ever really been mad at it. Uh, <laughs> but it, it, you know, it does like make you feel like, you know, Walt was so important once upon a time. I really wish that there had been some way to really address that. A big part of why I'm excited about Lost 2 whenever it happens. Uh, but I, I, don't have, I don't have much of a theory about it. I don't think it's consistent with what we learn about the smoke monster. I think with what we learn about the smoke monster, he can't take on the form of people unless that they are dead bodies in his domain. Like, I think that there have to be corpses on the island for him to take those form. I, I'm pretty sure that that bears out with the exception of the smoke detector thing that Jack right. sees in a flash forward in season four. I don't know how that is explained. I don't think that's ever been explained. I also didn't love that the smoke monster as Christian Shepherd was able to, to show up on the freighter in season four. Uh, that felt a little odd. Like that doesn't seem consistent with the smoke monster not being able to leave the island unless we want to say that, like, well, it's in the radius. It's in 20-mile radius. It should be fine. <laughs> it's in the radius. That's You're hilarious. I don't know. Okay, little other things, too. You know, if you listen to the things in the background, you know, you and you think, oh, Jack's obviously um, hammered and stoned. He's not going to do the surgery on that woman off from the bridge. It's going to be Gary Nadler. Who's Gary Nadler? I don't know, Bernard's brother. 
Oh yeah. Was it the there guy, are little things like that? Was the guy's name Nadler? It was. It's Bernard's last name. Oh, weird. And so I caught that. I went, that's, I'm sure I had on my blog back in the day, but little stuff like that. And now, you know, if you look at the flash forward where Jack goes to see Bernard, um, you know, and I just think they, they've worked at the same hospital or facility. And I love that. Uh, the flash sideways where he goes and sees flash Bernard, sideways. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah and, maybe is Gary troop, uh, combined <laughs> with Bernard. Nathan. Yes. Exactly. Um, I would also like to say that to my, I am never, I've never really been into shipping on shows, um, particularly on Lost. I never loved the Kate Love Triangle because I thought this is a badass woman. I wanted to be known for that rather than the, you know, Sawyer or Jack of it all. Totally. When they threw, when they threw Juliet in the mix, that kiss between her and Jack was so awkward. Uh, when they parted, and then Jack's "I love you" to Kate five minutes later was so awkward. So awkward. It just it, it, it just like the actors themselves looked uncomfortable and it was just like out of context and thrown in there. But the best part about it is like by far and away uh, the the most believable chemistry that anyone ever has in that whole thing is Sawyer and Juliet. Uh, and yes. Like, it takes a minute to get there, but it starts to really, really quick, I think, in, in season five when you're this- when you're there. They planted the seeds here for sure yeah. to totally, totally get us to where we were in season five. Yeah, it's cool. Like there's the whole walk with Sawyer and uh, Juliet when they're going to save everybody. And like they've got good chemistry there. Like it's the start of it. Like you can see it there. Uh, you could tell that they were planting those seeds. And I, I think they did a great job with that. I already regret what I said about nobody else having chemistry that rivals them because <laughs> when Sawyer and Kate were hot and heavy, it was yes. pretty awesome. Yes. And arguably Josh Holloway has chemistry with anything that moves. Yes. Um, so even Anna Lucia for five minutes. Sure. Great. Why not? <laughs> yeah, it was all right. It was fine. I think bottom of the of the Sawyer power rankings. Right. Let me ask you a question. Uh, how is Mikhail invincible? Yeah, this is a great question, although he ultimately isn't. I think that right. he is like a human cat. And and he has nine lives, and we don't know how many lives he has when we meet him. I guess we could count backwards. Uh, Right. But, you know, he's he's thrown through the sonic fence. Um, Then does he have a – he gets harpooned. Does he have a death before that? I know he gets his ass kicked by Locke a couple of episodes earlier. Yeah, Uh, but I think he has at least two actual deaths that we think are deaths. Yeah, he gets shot in the heart with a harpoon. (laughs) Or at least close enough to it that it's kind of ridiculous that he has the time to strap on an oxygen tank and get out of the submarine or or out of the looking glass station and then blow himself up. Uh, I would love it if like it just if we just found out that he had uh, he survived that one as well and like he's just like a floating head somewhere out there uh, still on the island. Maybe he rescued Lapidus because I thought he was dead too. Yeah, maybe. So, I'm just saying. A flashback on Lost Two shall reveal such a thing. And another one of my favorite side scenes of all time is when he, he basically was break dancing with his ankles and killed the guy. Yeah, on the beach. it's a total Jack Bauer move. Like that's oh like my god, straight out of the Keeper Sutherland twenty four playbook. One of Jack Bauer's favorite moves is to just like break people's necks with his legs. Uh, and <laughs> Saeed is like a big twenty four fan. Uh, oh, for sure. Or maybe he's just like watched a lot of twenty four. Given the content of twenty four, maybe he's not such a fan. Uh, I mean, maybe they showed it in jail where he was. Yeah, I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? One <laughs> one thing about that scene where Jack tells Kate, "I love you." 
or I'm, uh, in, I'm in love with you. Yeah. Uh, that I had never noticed until this past rewatch. And that's the beautiful thing is like, there's still stuff that like you just like catch this time. So it's like when they're on their trek to the radio tower, cause they're going yeah. to the radio tower so that they can signal for the boat to come and rescue them. And Kate stops down and Jack stops down with her, but other people are still walking. And then he says that, and he says it, pretty loudly and the camera goes you know from him to kate and then i think back to him and then like kind of a wider shot as he's walking back onto the trail and it's so clear that there's just like this extra who was like really really awkwardly close <laughs> during the conf- during the confession and i just imagined her being like oh that's really awkward i just saw him making out with juliet oh this is weird who am i gonna talk to about this well also kate just watched him kiss juliet so it was just like what is happening it's it's weird uh bad jack you know bad you know what i listen i'm I'm watching the hundred now and i I analyze that show a little bit and let me tell you something you have to suspend your disbelief especially when it comes to love triangles (laughs) yeah i think so yeah um another thing again i'm jumping off the map but i made notes to go over this with you Yeah, for sure well, I got goosebumps when Jack goes to the funeral home and puts his hand on the coffin because it's the exact scene that they replicate in the series finale when he goes to see his dad's coffin. Oh, he puts that's his cool. hand on the coffin. They have an overhead aerial shot of it. And it just like there are one of the reasons I really like season six. Is if you go back and rewatch it, you will notice scenes that mirror you know, the first five seasons. And there are some very subtle touchbacks that you don't need to be hit over the head. But if you're a dedicated Lost fan, I think that you might appreciate in retrospect. That's cool. Um, I never connected that because, you know, I don't really go back to season six very often. <laughs> I don't please, mean that please. as a slight. I really don't. <laughs> At some point, not that you and I will ever have time, we should do a season six podcast. Here's what we should do. We should promise that right now <laughs> and never do it. <laughs> that sounds great. It's very lost lives of us. Uh, oh, no, I, I, I didn't notice that ever. But I do wonder, my question for you is, do you think at this moment, when they introduced the idea that they were going to have a character in that coffin who presumably we would know, do you think that they knew that that was Locke at that point in time? Absolutely. Really? Yes. I think they, especially Ryder Strike had just ended, they were, they were mapping out probably on giant private whiteboards behind closed doors the last three seasons. And I just think looking at the pacing of four, five, and six, um, I also, you know, now we know that to throw people off the scent, because spoilers started to be a real thing online uh, around the time of season four started, they filmed uh, Josh Holloway in a coffin and Desmond. they filmed... Desmond. Yeah. And so they filmed Sawyer, Desmond and Locke just in case it leaked. I mean, how unreal is that? Apparently they didn't tell the actors why. Yeah. Well, Way to freak them out. Yeah. I would be, I would be, uh, <laughs> I, I would be twitching in my breeches, uh, in my britches. Yeah. If I were, if I were Holloway or Cusick, that would be, that'd be tough. Or even Terry O'Quinn was like, wait, what? <laughs> wait, what? But the way they utilized him after that is freaking genius. Well, I love the um, idea behind it, at least. Yes, and I actually, I know I have uh, blind faith, but I strongly believe they knew it was going to be Locke. That's cool. I hope so. Um, I mean, it's certainly, obviously, it has to be somebody that Jack has, like, a really powerful connection with. I don't know why I thought it would be Saeed. I think that I just felt like they weren't, like, really going to go with it. I think also, like, as you're going through season four and Saeed is an international assassin, uh, (laughs) as it were, uh, I just thought, like, yeah, he could die and, like, that could set Jack off. But it's just, it's clearly, it's just, like, not a powerful enough thing. And if you're going to turn the man of science into a man of faith... 
a pretty good way of getting to that point is by killing the man of faith and forcing the man of science to become the man of faith. Uh, well, and now looking back to also knowing what we know at Jack on the bridge, you know, there was no way Jack Shepard was going to die. He hadn't gone to the Island yet. Yeah. And so Jacob prevented that with, with the accident or whatever, what have you. But I always enjoyed that bridge scene as an, it's a wonderful life sort of nod. Yeah. And I, you know, and it was just because then the flash forwards were sort of the, you know, the ghosts of Christmas future. Yeah. And I just, you know, I thought it was sort of interesting. And that's such an iconic bridge and moment. So, you know, I think that two or three of the most iconic moments come from this season three finale. Yeah. And also the season three finale in the present timeline takes place just days before Christmas. That's right. Because Christmas happens during the constant, which is what, like four or five episodes later? Excellent job, sir, with your memory. I think it's like five or six. I think I don't really remember. <laughs> We're uh, old. I will say the writer's strike didn't impact season three at all because it was happening during season four. Uh, right. I, I remember that vividly because... They were supposed to go through all the way, like we were talking about before. Uh, they were going to have every episode every single week. And then I think that they had to stop at the uh, at Gion, I think, is the final episode that they show That's right. uh, before they go on a break. When that airs, the writer's strike has been resolved, but the writers and the production need time to flesh out the end of the season. And they were only going to have like four episodes or something like that left. And it was like you were on the edge of your seat because you were like, how are you going to pace that out? Like that's going to feel so rushed. And then they came back with the shape of things to come. Oh, my God. Some of the best episodes of all time, in my opinion. The man behind the curtain and the shape of things to come are just so good. Yeah, yeah. I think Cabin Fever is in there. Yes. Uh, Shape of Things to Come is just a brutal, brutal episode. We're a little all over the map here, but we're I just kind of nerding out about Lost. Uh, well, ha- well, how about this? Well, we're on the subject of season four, and season four, you know, really gives us the the flash forwards in earnest. But it also gives us a bunch of new characters that are suggested in the season three finale. You know, we get the not Penny's boat moment. And we know that Jack is making contact with the people on the freighter. Uh, And we know that in a few years, Jack will have gotten off the island. So presumably uh, making contact with this boat, if not, if you don't want to call it having worked, at least it led to escaping the island. Mm -hmm. So you kind of feel like, okay, so here are some new bad guys in the mix. Like here's like a new nefarious crew that's going to be coming our way in season four in between seasons three and seasons four. What were you thinking about this? What were you thinking about the not Penny's boat crew? I was thinking they somehow related to the Dharma initiative. And so I was trying to always draw parallels between like rich Widmore is rich. So, you know, Widmore and the Dharma initiative and this freighter, they had to be connected and not without Penny's knowledge. And so I just always try to connect the dots between it's before we knew about Widmore's connection, so. Yeah. You, we didn't know anything about Widmore at that point, yeah? Like, we didn't, know, we didn't know that he was at all involved with the island at that point. Right. Yeah, but think. we knew he was, we just, you know, look at, Charlie recognized uh, Penny's name. Um, so I just, you know, we, we knew there was a Charles Widmore. Uh, we knew there was a Dharma Initiative, and then we knew there was a freighter. So I just assumed they were all connected. Yeah, I think there had been something about how, like, the name Widmore is going to matter someday. And so I was always thinking, like, okay, so this guy's got to be hooked into the island somehow. Well, we knew at that point that the the, the hot air balloon with the, uh, you know, the... Henry Gale. Henry Gale came down that had Widmore on it. And then um, basically 
Libby, do we knew it? Season three, do we know about Libby? Yeah, we knew because Libby was killed in season three. So we had her backstory about getting the boat from Widmore, right? right? I, I, and so I don't think she got the boat from Widmore, right? Like no, she, it was his race. It was his race. Well, Desmond wants to go in the race and he gets the boat from Libby. Right. And I think it was her husband who had died, who his name was David. And you mean Dave? Yeah, the invisible Dave? Dude, I, I don't know, man. I don't know what's up with Libby. I still don't understand any of that. I do. Lost 2 will give the answer, unless you've got the answer right now, Joe. I'm just telling you, her husband's name was David, which is not a coincidence that she was the mental institution, and Hurley's new best friend, the mental institution, was an invisible guy named Dave. I'm just saying, it's all related. So she's married to Invisible Dave? Well, he died, so yes. And then... He was. Oh! Oh! Mm-hmm. He died of the sickness. And then Hurley, mm. who can see ghosts, Dave is his first ghost? Yep. So how does he get to the island? Who, Dave? Yeah. I don't know. Another not Penny's boat? I don't know. I didn't think about that oh, far. Oh, shit. What if Dave... Uh, we, do we know how Dave died? How Libby's Dave died? Did we? Do we remember? It is she's, he got sick. Oh man! Because like, if his body was on the island, then that Dave could be a smoke monster. And oh god! Uh, I'm just saying. Here we go. Season seventeen. No, I'm not. I'm not willing to retroactively make Dave fit into Lost. I'm. I am willing to continue my stance that Dave is a thumbs down episode of Lost. Uh, as, as an episode, yes, but as a theory, thumbs up, and I'm sticking to my story. All right, I like your story. I like it when you <laughs> stick to your story, Joe. And uh, again, you guys, grain of salt, wild speculation exists even 10 years later. I know. You are, you are the queen of wild speculation. <laughs> it's your bread and butter. It kind of is. I love, that's why I love talking to you about it. When we talked about this episode, I'm like, oh, my God, a chance to theorize for an hour? Okay. What, uh, what are some of the other big moments from, from this episode? I will say, like, you know, going back to, like, the taller ghost Walt thing, uh, I don't, you know, for this to be considered the best episode of Lost ever, one thing that, for me, it's not. It's so close, but it's not quite there because I think in order to be the true best episode of Lost – you have to have like a real John Locke story mm-hmm. and Locke factors in uh, Barely. You know, there's some Locke going on, but it's that final scene in the first part of the episode where he sees Tower Ghost Walt and then he just shows up and kills Naomi and it's yeah. or at least like gravely injures her, you know, wounds her badly enough that she's going to die. And it's kind of just like, that's not enough Locke for my liking. And I know that some people don't love the Locke, but for me, he is an essential ingredient. And I don't think that you can be considered the best episode of Lost if you only have two scenes with John Locke. I agree. It was a complete table setter for the next three seasons. That's why Exodus is the best episode of Lost. <laughs> uh, the Raft, holy moly. Yeah, it's the, it's the greatest thing ever. It, and Vincent, I recently rewatched it, and Vincent going out there is unbelievable. Vincent, go back! Ugh. And another thing I did, of course, I'm going to state the obvious, which is that Oahu, where they filmed it, is one of the most stunning locations ever, let alone on film. And it stands the test of time. All these years later, seeing the cast with those aerial wide shots, it's 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 just so beautiful. So that seems like a good place to start to wrap up here is because if you're listening to this and you're a super lost fan, Joe and I have both made the uh, the, the pilgrimage out to the island certainly not a cheap ticket but if you're ever <laughs> able to do it it's it's such an incredible thing to do there's great tours on oahu that'll show you all of the awesome lost locations but coming up later this year right isn't isn't the lost con happening this year it is lost 2017 it is in october and you can look it up on the lost 
com, I believe, but at the Lost Con on Facebook and Twitter. And it's a fan-run event. This wonderful woman, Kelly, runs it. And it's a couple hundred Lost fans. They, we met there in 2014. And for the 10-year anniversary of the launch of Lost, this year is more of a in-the-middle-between anniversaries, let's get together in Oahu, because we went to. And in 2020, is going to be the 10-year anniversary of the finale. So... This year, in October, there's a host hotel about a block from the beach. There are organized tours. We're taking a group photo in the church where they filmed the Lost finale. Wow. And the best part, at least for me personally, uh, I get to host a Cancer Gets Lost charity auction in Dharmaville. That's badass. Dharmaville is really cool, by the way. <laughs> it's, it's, it's currently an active YMCA camp, but it always has been. But they're generous enough to let me host the auction there and let us rent the space. We're going to have a barbecue and a lost costume contest. And then I have all this amazing memorabilia, and a lot of it's signed by the cast and crew. It's all for charity, and it's all with Lost fans. So it's really a dream come true. So if that sounds up your alley, I really do recommend it. I would love to get out there. Uh, I'm, I'm working to see if it's possible on my end. I really would like to go uh, i'll certainly keep everybody updated if that's the case uh, I'll, yes I'll, please i'll shout it out on twitter uh joe i want to start like ending this kind of in a rush because i don't know if you've been monitoring the time on this podcast but we're closing in on an hour and eight minutes and i would love, yes i would love to get as close to that as possible <laughs> if we can land it at 108 that's going to be pretty awesome so quick quick wrap up uh we like to have a hashtag at the end of these podcasts i'm suggesting hashtag bentham blog Hashtag Bentham blog. You can find me on Twitter at Japinionated and at Cancer Gets Lost. Yes, so that's how you can find Joe. I'm on there at Round Howard. Who knows if another Lost Lives podcast will randomly emerge in the wild again. I hope that you enjoyed this uh, unexpected podcast that kind of just popped up here. Joe, I certainly loved talking to you about this episode and just kind of waxing nostalgic about Lost as we were on the 10 year anniversary of Through the World. Yes, and I will see you in another life, brother. All right, see you in another life. Bye. We have to go back.